Welcome back to Library Land Loves. I'm Michelle Arbuckle. And here we are. It's late March, and I am slowly but surely starting to come out of my post-super conference fog. It was a really fabulous conference this year. We had just over 4,900 people attend throughout the week, starting on February 1st all the way up to Feb 5. And we had great representation across the country. And now that we're wrapped, I'm going to take a few weeks to bring you conversations that occurred at the conference to help catch you up on anything that you might have missed. This week, I'm bringing you a fantastic panel of podcasters. Say that five times fast. A fantastic panel of podcasters that I worked to curate along with Matthew Murray, an academic librarian who also hosts the Book Club for Masochists, a reader's advisory podcast. This panel was recorded for the Super Conference and presented on Wednesday, February 2nd. The panel itself includes Matthew, as well as three other podcasters, Alana King, Brenna Clark-Gray, and Maurice Coleman. And I think it's really interesting to hear what other podcasters are up to in Libraryland. And I suspect that given you're listening to this podcast, you might also enjoy this conversation. And I hope afterwards you'll take some time to give each of the panelists' pods a listen as well. So after the break, I will let Matthew take it away with the podcasters panel behind the microphone. Hi, uh, and this is podcasters panel, a glimpse behind the microphone. So thank you for coming to this. Uh, I'm your moderator, Matthew Murray. I'm a data and graduate studies librarian at the British Columbia Institute of Technology and co-host of the book club for masochists, a reader's advisory podcast. Joining me today is Alana King, an instructional designer and agent of change with over 20 years of teaching, writing, and design experience. She currently teaches for the Upper Grand District School Board in Ontario. She and her team at the podcast Read Into This have been podcasting since March of 2020. Brenna Clark Gray is the coordinator of educational technologies at Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops, BC. So practically my neighbor. Uh, her research interests include the history and future of open tenure processes, the role of care and care work in the practice of educational technology, and scholarly podcasting. Outside of the Academy's walls, Brenna co-hosts Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a podcast about young adult literature and film adaptation. Maurice Coleman is currently principal of Coleman and Associates. He is the host and producer of the long-running and oldest training slash education and empowerment podcast, T is for Training, and the technical trainer at, the county, at a county library system located in the northeastern corner of Maryland. Uh, so thank you all for joining me today. Um, and to begin with, uh, let's talk a little bit more about what our, each of our podcasts are. Uh, so Alana, do you want to start with, with that? Sure. Uh, so Read Into This is a podcast that we started just as we were going into the pandemic. And what we're trying to do is bridge all the corners of what it means to be a teacher, a literacy lover, and a librarian in school libraries across Canada. At least that was our original goal. Great. Brenna, do you want to go next? Sure. So Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star is what I, I jokingly refer to as my fun podcast. I make it with my friend Joe and we read a YA book every week and then look at a film adaptation. We try to bring um, a sort of low-key scholarly approach to text. So we'll draw in from queer and feminist and race theory in order to sort of offer a richer conversation around some of these texts, particularly the most popular ones. Um, I also have a day job podcast. <laughs> I host a podcast called You Got This, which we developed 
here at TRU just as we were rolling into the pandemic. And the idea was to try to sustain our community even as we moved into disparate teaching and learning spaces. Um, and yeah, so I kind of I kind of got both going on, which is fun. And Maurice? Uh, so my podcast teaser training, we are a library trainer centric, but not totally focused on training. Pretty much where every, we, we try to be a little bit everything. It started because we had, it, it started at conferences. I wanted to sort of keep the conference going. Trainers are usually the only people who do what you do at a particular place. It's hard to bounce ideas off of yourself. So having a community that you could instantly touch on to, grab onto, and really discuss things was the impetus for the podcast. And that was almost 14 years ago. That is quite old in terms of podcasting. Yes, it uh, is. I should be collecting podcast social security. There should be something social security check or something coming on. A pension or something. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, moving on to the next thing, we've already brought up briefly uh, the pandemic already, because how can we possibly avoid that? But how has the pandemic affected the way you podcast and the way you think about podcasts? Brenna, do you want to start with this one? Sure. My first answer was that it hasn't, because um, for Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, my co-host is in Toronto. So we've always, you know, um, used Zencasters, the tool that, or sorry, we use Cast for that show, but we've always used sort of a a VoIP room and, and done it at a distance. Um, but podcasting for me in my in my role at Johnson Rivers University was a really important way to build and sustain community across distance. Um, and it was a really valuable addition to the toolkit, if for no other reason than I sort of used the podcast, you got this, as a way to gently pitch for folks to think outside the video lecture box when it came to producing teaching and learning materials for remote instruction. I think audio is really powerful. Um, it was a way that I delivered content in my online courses before I came into this role. And so uh, it was nice to use the podcast sort of as an example, like, hey, look, we're building community, we're connecting, you're getting information, we're sharing, and nobody is staring at a screen. <laughs> I know you've also done uh, an online course. Was that influenced by the pandemic or was that something you were already working on? Yeah, definitely. That was influenced by the pandemic. We built out our podcasting resource at TRU, uh, which is um, freely available. And I'll make sure you have the link, um, Matthew, to share with people. Um, that's been in existence since just before the pandemic. And it kind of died just because we couldn't really launch the resource. We couldn't really engage with people because everybody had a lot more on their plate all of a sudden. Um, so this year we tried to bring it back by creating what we call the introductory podcasting masterclass. We were trying to evoke that it was a sustained focused course, but that it was at introductory level. In retrospect, introductory masterclass might not actually mean anything. Um, but that was a way that was really shaped by the pandemic because we did find that attendance and synchronous workshops really kind of dropped off a cliff in the fall of 2021. I think people hit a burnout wall and the idea of sitting through a session was less not appealing to folks. Um, and so we found that there was quite a bit of pickup instead for this sort of asynchronous 
course delivery when it came to professional development that people could tackle in small bits and when they felt motivated to, not necessarily when I was going to be booting up a team's call. Um, and so that definitely was shaped by at least our experiences of people's affective reactions to the pandemic, if not maybe the pandemic itself. Great. Uh, Maurice, how about you? Well, because my show started as a way of connecting virtually between conferences, the only big difference was that I couldn't record at conferences anymore. That was the really big thing. Otherwise, it was a virtual show. We met every time. We met using this uh, thing called TalkShoe, which I'm not going to necessarily advertise. It's more tolerated than anything else. But we met somewhere continually and... It didn't. It what changed was our relationship within the people who come to the show, not necessarily the show itself, but it really provided a way of for our crew to really stay connected to other professionals. Because the pandemic, you stop, you stop going to conferences, etc. You do some work. It really created a sense of continual community. And I have to say, if it wasn't for my show, I likely would not have survived during the pandemic, really. It, uh, my show happens every two weeks. It's anyone can come on to the show. You're all invited. Anyone who's watching can feel free to come on to the show. We, we, you know, sometimes we attract strays, people who come on, they go, oh, I'm going to come on only once. Next thing they stayed around for 10 years. So we, it's really an inclusive welcoming community. We try to, especially during the pandemic, everyone is welcome. It's a big, you know, it's the big tent thing, but did it directly influence my podcast? No, because I was already doing it virtually. So it was more of the same. We were there first, shall we say. It's like, oh, yeah, virtual meetings are poo. We've been doing that stuff for years. Great. I, I think the, the lack of in-person um, conferences has really kind of made people look out for other types of ways to, to interact with their profession and mm -hmm. learn things. So I hope, hope more of them look to podcasting in the future. Elena, you, you were the one that said that you created this, I think, in response to the pandemic, your podcast. That's right. Um, this is, you know, this is sort of, my impetus is, as Maurice said, that the community already sort of existed, but in sort of a really web 1.0 version. And that our, our, our Canadian School Libraries Association gets together once every two years. And so just like Brennan and Maurice said, you know, this is about community. But what happened just before the pandemic is um, I had a visitor Valkyria Salinas from Argentina, and I'd gotten to go with UNESCO to Argentina just the year, a few months before that. And Valkyria came and said, I really want to check out this big conference you've got in Ontario. So I said, great, come on. But at our, at our meeting, we talked about how are we going to keep the flow of information and community going? And she said, well, everybody I know speaks Spanish. So what are we going to do about that? And, she, and we started talking about, well, maybe podcasting was the way to do that because to provide the things that we were talking about in an audio version, as well as the print version that they could get sort of online, that was sort of the original impetus is let's see if we can grow Canadian to international. But it wasn't until the pandemic that I actually had time to do it. And I did 70 episodes in like the first four months. Ooh. And then, right? Ooh. It's crazy. Wow. And then, and then my job completely changed. And now it, the podcast is between the three of us whenever we can sort of figure out how to get people together and make it happen again. Um, but 
I mean, as you've all said, it's about sort of craving the community and making it happen. But the pod, but the pandemic has done everything from create it to make it impossible to keep it going with any sort of rhythm. I'm really envious of the way that Maurice and Brenna have been talking about how they commit to making sure it happens on a regular basis. Yeah, I think scheduling can be uh, something that people find challenging with podcasts at times, uh, finding the time to record, especially when you're all in different places and people are in different time zones, uh, even figuring out when we could all record this was a challenge as well. But moving on, uh, Maurice, how about you start with this one? So what do you think success looks like for your podcast or in podcasts in general? Um, and I guess more specifically thinking about more professional podcasts as opposed to like fun podcasts, but what do you well, think success looks like? So I think podcasts can be both professional and fun, first of all. So if it's, you know, uh, Debbie's favorite soy milk podcast, let them have fun. You know, if, if they, if the people who are attending get something out of it, I think that's great. I think there are different levels of success. There's personal success. Do I enjoy the time? Because folks who have never done podcasting before, as Matthew mentioned, and Alana mentioned, trying to find the time to do it can be a pain in the backside. It, it, it's, I'm lucky I've had, I've changed times one time. I started at one time for 12 years. Um, oh, I don't even know how long. And then I switched times because uh, support for it changed at my library. So I had to do it off hours. So I shifted times. I lost a few people because of that. But I have a consistent time. I think that's probably the easiest thing. Try to find one time that a few people can get together and everyone can make their contributions. Either they come on your thing that time, or maybe they ask questions or they help you book guests, et cetera. You can create the community. Maybe if people aren't necessarily there all the time to record it. And I think I totally tangentially went off the question, didn't I, Matthew? That's okay. That's that's what that's what podcasting is about, and conference questions are about as well. I think any podcast that stays on topic the entire time is um, well. I don't I don't listen to many like that. It's a lot more professional than mine is, perhaps. There's a lot of tangents in everything. I I think it's so success is personal success. Do I get something out of it? Do the people that come to the show get something out of it? Do the people that listen get something out of it? Do you necessarily hear about it? You know, I joke on my show that I always thank the five people who listen to my podcast because I have no clue. Podcast metrics are terrible. Apple's horrible. Apple is horrible at trying to tell you when people download your stuff. Unless you know your trillion uh, views a week, uh, who knows how many people listen to my podcast? 5, 10, 15, 50, 5,000? I don't know. I don't care. I care that we get something out of it and that we're putting something good out for people. So that's where my success is. You know, it's It has honestly helped me get some consulting gifts. People know who I am. Woo-hoo. I still have to prove my ability to do stuff, but at least it it provides the crack in the door. I mean, it's, it's library land. So your reputation is what you have, just like anything else. And okay, well, Maurice, he does this podcast. Great. Maybe he knows some stuff about some stuff. And then I got to prove I know some stuff about some stuff. So it's been a good entry point for things. Uh, so those are the different levels of success. It's not a necessarily a financial success. I can't retire from it. I don't do uh, the, the service I use plays ads. I don't get any money from that beforehand. So you know, I'm, I ain't retiring on it. I'm not going on vacation from it. 
it helps occasionally to buy, a, you know, a, 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 I don't know, the, the, uh, a nice picture or something. I don't know. You know, it, it's it's not a it's not a revenue making thing. That's for sure. It's definitely a loss leader. Yes. Uh, I was very excited because uh, recently, a few months ago, for the first time ever, uh, my podcast got contacted and offered a book we actually wanted. Uh, nice. Usually, you know, people we get people are like, "Oh, do you want this book?" And we're like, "We're, we're no. entirely uninterested." In but we're like, "Oh no, <laughs> wait, wait, we actually want this one. Why did you contact us?" <laughs> and I will say, Matthew, that helps. We have gone through a string over the last year or two working with a couple of groups, including the Association for Talent Development, to get authors on and say, okay, mm. you get the book. We And I interview the person who does the book. It helps them sell books. Yep. It helps, frankly, me get some free books. And I'm able to disseminate information out to people. So mm-hmm. that's one way, I guess, it's in-kind contribution, which is great. Thank you very much, Association for Talent Development. We love you. Mwah. But that's one way for you getting things from people maybe you actually want. Maybe that leads you to getting more stuff from people you want as opposed to getting that weird unsolicited like, who is going to read this particular? Mm, no, this has nothing to do with what I do. Mm-mm. Yes. Yeah. Brenna, you, you have two different podcasts. Uh, what do you think? How do you think about um, success and how they differ for each of the, yours? Oh, that's a good question. I'm really grateful to not be trying to monetize a podcast. It seems hard. Um, and I'm really grateful to be in a position where I can make them as part of my day job. I even record my fun podcast often during office hours because to me, it's all part of a skill set that I'm developing within my role. Um, I will tell you that the first time I really felt like I had made it as a podcaster was the first time I got a screener with my name on it. I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I think it might've been Love, Victor season one. And I was like, I am watching Love, Victor season one before anybody else. And it has my name right on the screen. Nice. (laughs) That was was big. Um, In terms of, uh, you know, how to measure success or what success looks like, you know, if the end goal is community, and I really believe that's what I do podcasts for, community for me looks like the kind of feedback that I get from listeners. So when people reach out, they want to chat. And and community also looks like um, people loving you enough to correct your mistakes, to call you in when you do something you shouldn't, right? Like these kinds of things to me are how I measure um, the success and the reason to keep doing it every day. The other thing is, quite frankly, my fun podcast I put that in a class of podcasts I call friendship podcasts, which are podcasts that you can tell by listening to are really at their core a way for two people, three people to stay in touch. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that's why this podcast exists. And I love a good friendship podcast because the chemistry is usually great between the hosts and you become part of this parasocial world full of inside jokes you get to partake in. Um, And, you know, the greatest metric for success of a friendship podcast is that you want to keep doing it every week. And, uh, and that's a real joy. Definitely. Um, I think that that's something that I think has led to the creation was one of the things that led to a lot of creation of podcasts in the last couple of years is people wanting to stay in touch with those friends that are far away and that they could not, they cannot see currently. Alana, how about you? What do you think about success and podcasts? Once again, Brenna and Maurice's responses have really made me think about it. And I, and I feel like um, the networking is part of it that, you know, I want to be able to feed that beast. And at the same time, the beast has to feed me. So I would say probably part of it is, is people just giving me a shout out or a like or a tweet or something like that. Yes, there's the unsolicited authors and things like that. But in terms of success, 
the ultimate goal is really that the very small but dedicated audience of school library nerds are appreciating each other and learning from each other. So I don't really care about how big the audience goes as long as it continues to be enthusiastic. And, and it is. Um, our sponsor is Canadian School Libraries, which is a charitable organization. So for the low, low price of $128 a year, we can continue to do what we do because they pick the tab up for our, you know, our file storage and our, and our, um, you know, our, our, our Zencaster subscription sort of thing. But, um, but generally, I think the success is as long as the love is out there, we're going to just keep on, on doing it. And, and so far, our audience has been really tolerant of all of the tangents that we go on. And, and the fact that, you know, our, our, our rhythm is asymmetrical and, um, you know, all of those things are, are, are great, but I think that the dream would be to do more live things. This time last year for the Ontario Library Association, we did a live love-in, basically like a call-in show. That was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, regularity would be a goal. I feel like I'm advertising fiber all of a sudden, but that's not what I mean. I just meant like, you know, that there was something that was a reliable structure about that. And maybe a lot more co- sort of cross-pollinization too. We've ha- we've been able to reach out to other different mm-hmm. venues of library world or the author world or whatever. And as long as, again, it keeps feeding each other, I think that's successful. As long as we keep wanting to do it, it's good. Can I Great. just interject here, Matthew? Brianna, I think Go you're ahead. absolutely right. I think all podcasts are about the relationship with the people who are on your show. If it's one, two or three people, you end up, that's what my podcast is too. Sure. It's a training, teaching, learning podcast, but it's really, it's any good, um, you know, stab them book, right? Any good mystery series, you don't show for the, you don't show for the mystery, you show for the relationship between the people who, the, the characters. And that's, I think any good podcast has that relationship between all the characters the people who show up or who don't show up. And that's, I think, drives people to come to your podcast. Your relationship with the people who are on the show makes people comfortable, makes people want to listen, makes people care about you and the other people. So, Brianna, I'm totally stealing that, by the way. Friendship podcast. I think all good podcasts are friendship podcasts. Brenna. That's her name. Not Brianna. Um, One thing I want to say that has made me really excited um, about my own podcast is when I hear that it's being talked about in classrooms, um, which is not, not something that happens all the time, but occasionally someone would say, oh, hey, I heard about your podcast um, in my class, in my reader's advisory class at nice. library school or like at when they're studying to be a library technician. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so incredible that someone thought that this was a resource worth worth telling other people about. And I love the idea that a, a, someone had to get in front of their class and say, you should listen to the book club for masochists and then explain what that actually meant <laughs> to their students. Um, which I think is, is, is just a pretty funny thing. The other one um, that happened to me, which this is when I knew I hit it big, uh, was when our logo was stolen and uh, you could buy socks on Amazon uh, with our logo on the side of them, um, which is just a very uh, funny thing to me. And I don't think no one ever bought them, but I'm just like, why is what? Why did you scrape our logo, our logo off the internet? Wow. Did you sue? Uh, maybe it's happened to your logo as well. No, no. Amazon my, lo- my logo was a simple T. You're gonna steal a tea, fine, whatever. It's all good. Yeah, I didn't put much. I took like ten minutes to think about the logo. Hey, you want to make money from a tea? Go right ahead. 
I'm going to add something to my success list, which is merch. We totally need merch. I, I made some stickers for my podcast, but that was the the most I think I did. Oh no, I had some. We I think we made some like one inch buttons as well at some point. But I, I think I seem to remember while. a one inch button at some point. Yeah, with yeah. you from ALA or something. I remember yeah. a one inch button at some point. You left in the comments at ALA. Anyway, I'll shut up now. I talk a lot. It's okay. That's that's what podcasts are about. If you didn't talk a lot, I don't know how successful our podcast would be for any of us. <laughs> Uh, Brenna, um, how do you engage with your audience? How do you, what do you think about engaging with audiences in regards to podcasts? You mentioned parasocial relationships earlier. Um, yeah. So maybe. I think um, for me, it's also really important to maintain um, a space where people feel like they can give feedback or let us know. So on Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, um, we do a once a month book club and we solicit uh, listener contributions to the book club. and people write in sometimes the nice, like most thoughtful, like if an undergraduate wrote this for me, I would be so excited because it's just so in- incisive and beautiful, you know, these thoughts about books. And we, we always pull out examples and share them. Um, so that's one way we make connection with our audience. And obviously social media, it's nice to know that people are listening and that, you know, you're with the podcast we do that you're all reading the same book. Um, my work podcast, the feedback is definitely of a different sort. It's, um, you know, people get in touch and they say, oh, you should have so-and-so on your show. And it's been a really valuable way for me to get to know our campus community because I arrived about seven months before the pandemic. And so I didn't really know anybody. So it's been a really nice way to make connections across campus. Um, My favorite feedback that I get is when people think that I've um, pushed you know, an issue or an envelope or an administrator uh, just a little bit. And they're glad that somebody is out there doing it in a public space. Um, That's at least part of why I think in particular, a community that brings together faculty, staff and students and allows them to talk about significant issues is so important because universities are governed collegially and it's really important that those conversations take place. So I guess feedback comes in all sorts of forms and the 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 way you model being open to feedback is that you take it seriously you treat it seriously and you treat it with the intention that it's given so um you know there was a there are times on um Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star when Joe and I are are called in by listeners because we've um used language that's troubling in some way um a good example was Uh, Joe and I learning from a listener about the importance of um, the way we talk about suicide, for example, and that was a really valuable thing. Um, Being willing to be wrong publicly is always a really great way to get people to give feedback because it demonstrates that you're listening and you're taking it on board. Um, And I think that that also feeds into the idea of community, right? If you really are building a community, then those conversations have to be reciprocal in some way, to some degree. And I really treasured the lessons I've learned from that experience, even when, you know, they are by definition, sometimes quite humbling. Definitely. Uh, Alana, how about yourself? Um, you know, in terms of feedback, I think in a lot of cases, it's, it's seeing ripples in terms of the topics. Uh, I don't know if the, if the rest of the panel sees that as well, but I feel like either something that we've picked up on from something always sort of leads to other things. I see it repeated in, in other podcasts. Like maybe it was just a small impetus 
and, and, and I live in an echo chamber. And so everything feels like it's echoing to me, but, but I like to think that we're stimulating thought and action and even changing in behavior. And so if I see that, whether it's in another month or, or a few months or even a year away, things like that changing, um, I think it's because we, we call attention to it. As Brenna said, you know, the fact that we're just saying, Hey, this, this exists. And why don't we do something about that? And then, and then it happens. That's, it's really, uh, it's really satisfying, but of course I love it when people DM me and say, you should don't forget, you know, all of those right. 14 more episodes that we should be doing. Right. I love that. It, it, that that's the feeding, feeding itself sort of thing. Maurice, do you have anything to add about engaging with audience? I think Brennan and Alana said it best. It's amplifying the stuff that needs to be amplified and then hearing it echo a year later. It's like, oh, yeah, we were talking about that a year ago. Yeah, we moved on. But hey, that's great that other people have picked it up and that it's it has received some traction somewhere. So knowing that we had a, 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 a lot, as you said it best, you had a sidebar conversation about something. And then a year later, it's like, oh, this person wrote a book about it. It's like, holy, you wrote a book about what? We had a five-minute conversation about that. Cool. Good on you. You want to come on the show? Get me a copy of the book? Great. You know, that's that's really what it is. It's it's that's really the long, the long tail of the podcast. Those things that you see, maybe you talked about, you discussed, you had something, and then someone else picks it up. And we're we're the stealing profession. You know, we 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 borrow. I'm sorry, we borrow in, in training, teaching, learning. If you can't make it, steal it. That's the key. You know, you borrow things from other people, and that's all okay. We're not no, no one's in this for the, the straight cash homie or anything. I mean, we're we're not we're not getting rich from this. No one's getting, no one in library podcasting is getting rich. So if you want to get library podcasting and would like to get rich, try some other type of podcasting because this is not the place for you. You'll be rich in friends. You'll be rich in, you know, meeting new people, new experiences, et cetera. But it's not where you're not, your bank account is not going to get more zeros in it. Maybe zeros to the right of your decimal. Sure. But nothing to the left, Ain't nothing to the left, you know, right. maybe to the right. Yeah. I have to say, I'm kind of jealous of all of these. I feel the engagement I get with my podcast is people uh, telling us they want me to read Amish romance novels because they know I won't like them. Um, <laughs> oh, but Matthew, you should challenge them and start reading some. I have a friend who does read Amish no, no. romance novels. No, we're, no, we're, we're literally the most recent episode there you uh, go, about Amish see? romance novels. I read one, I hated it, uh, but I know our audience is really going to enjoy me hating this book. That's what we're there for. <laughs> is me, me not enjoying what we're reading. I feel like that's a subtle Vogon poetry it's, reference. I'm just yes, yes, it, that ain't that subtle. That is not that subtle. <laughs> but there are people who do. I have a friend, a good friend, who is a library director, someone who reads Amish romance novels, mm. who loves them. It, I, they're just not for me. I, anyway, I, you can listen to my podcast okay. to find out more about this. <laughs> and the name of your podcast is See Book Club, Book Club for, for Masochists. Masochist. That's right. Uh, Alana, um, how do you draw the line between your job and your podcast? And have you encountered any issues in this area? There's no line. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't been officially reprimanded <laughs> lately, but I, I, I would say that like, you know, I don't know in 2009, when I joined social media and was still trying to negotiate what those boundaries were between professional and personal, um, there was a lot more concern about it. And, and now I say, Hey, I'm representing 
a profession. And, but the thing is, is that, you know, I've got my foot in a bunch of different spots. I'm an online teacher. I'm an English teacher. I'm a school librarian. And at the same time, I'm trying to, you know, professionally develop on a volunteer basis through podcasting myself as much as, you know, as, as much as I, as we talk about and and the audience that we hope to reach. But, um, but the line is I read young adult voraciously. I'm on a, an adult selection committee. And, and so it doesn't really, there's no line. Maurice, how about you? Are, are you the same or do you find, try to create a line between so work as and I, podcast? As I hinted to earlier, that we had to change time my podcast because at one point my podcast was supported by my particular place of work, which is why in, in your introduction, Matthew, I don't mention my library system. Now I do it on my own time. So that was, um, that was dramatic, shall we say. And uh, so, yeah, it was like having the rug swept out from under you. But in terms of stuff, I'm still influenced. I still train people for a living. So obviously that feeds into the podcast. What I do in the podcast feeds into what I do at work. But yeah, that was, that was, that was uh, traumatic. I have to say that, that, yeah, that, that conversation, we we could have a conversation over adult beverages at some point. And I can tell you the real story, but that that's the sanitized version that the support support was lifted from my podcast, do it at work as professional development, which it is, it still is for me, but I'll just do it on my own time. Brenna, uh, how about yourself? Have you run into any um, problems? Mm, I don't know that I've run into any problems. I, uh, my job is very strange. So just a little bit of background. I'm an educational technologist. I'm a faculty educational technologist, which is a really privileged position to be in because I have the um, protection of a strong union and, and um, academic freedom for the work that I do. Um, but I am also tenure track. I am not tenured yet. And so I don't know. This week is a classic example of an episode that I hit publish on and kind of held my breath because I didn't know if I had <laughs> pushed too far on an issue that was too sensitive. Um, there have never been any ramifications. And I should say explicitly that I have uh, never con- been concerned about the support of my director or my immediate supervisor. They're all very supportive of the work that I do and the way that I do it. But um, I I'm, I feel like I'm always kind of traveling this line of being uh, of security and precarity, right? And I'm just sort of, I'm, I'm not quite secure yet. But I also, everything I've ever read about the history of ten, history of tenure processes and how they work, um, it's very rare that people get more progressive after tenure, right? The whole process of tenure is like an indoctrination into a series of systems. And so I really believe you got to start as you need to go on. Doesn't mean my heart's not in my throat sometimes. And I worked previously, you know, before I was an educational technologist, I was a Uh, I was a college professor of English. um, And in that role at that institution, which was just a little bit more conservative across the board, um, I I kept on the down low most of what I did on the internet, including a lot of my podcasting work. Um, And so, you know, I'm really sympathetic to people for whom that's a major concern. I feel really lucky that at the moment I can use the time of my day job to to work on my podcast. Um, But faculty day jobs being what they are, that doesn't mean that I'm not editing podcasts on Saturday nights on a pretty regular basis. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I think it's not a line that I have had to draw very robustly, but it doesn't mean I'm not always aware 
of the sensitivities in ed play. Definitely. I hope that in the future, maybe your podcast can be considered as part of your tenure package for, for anyone going up. I think, I hope that's, and that kind of brings me into our next question, um, which is where would you like to see podcasts go in the future? Maurice, let's start with you. I think uh, more accessibility for them, uh, at least from the podcaster point of view, maybe a way of telling me how many people are actually listening to my damn show. (laughs) That would be nice. I think podcasts currently, I think with the pandemic, we had had to really couch things in the, well, what was before the pandemic? What's after the pandemic? Because if we were doing this, so we're doing this panel virtually. If it was before the pandemic, odds are we'd all be at the Ontario Library Association, yes, and be doing maybe face-to-face in a room together. There'd be other people breathing on us and all, you know, all that other stuff, sharing the same air. We'd be able to talk to people afterwards, et cetera. I think really making sure that podcasts are as available to people who need them. It's up to us as good podcasters to share the really good ones, to mentor those people who want to do one and just say, well, I've always wanted to do a podcast. Well, then do it. I, it's, it's Time is stopping you. Nothing else is stopping you. It's truly, there are, so, there are too, almost too many resources out there if you want to become a podcaster. For those of you out there, Google, I want to, how do I podcast? You'll get maybe a, a billion hits on various things, how to do it, et cetera. It, it's all out there for you. So I think it's up to us to mentor the next people who want to do it and say, hey, yes, here are the things that I went through. I hope you don't go through these things. Here are the lessons I learned. I hope you learn these things. Um, I, I also, in the future, want more live podcasts. I love doing live stuff. I would do roundtables after conferences to break down the conference. Hey, ALA just happened. What did you learn? And spend an hour talking to people about, hey, or OLA just happened. What did you learn? I want to do those again. I don't know how I'm, look, at this point, as we all know, it might be another two or three, two or three years before we all get together again in such a situation where we could have that happen. Really, it's, it stinks. Um, accessibility. I think getting more people to do it. I think a lot of people have their own voice and it's good. Make it really a, a, a very much like what, like having a blog. It's everyone has something to say. It might not all be great, but at least give people the opportunity to say what they want and be as creative as they want to and support them in that. Great. Um, I think the other thing with accessibility that I think about a lot and maybe our other panelists will talk about this is uh, doing transcripts as well, which I think more and more podcasts are doing to, to make their stuff done and not it's, it is time consuming and can be expensive as well, which is why not more of them do, but I am glad that people are at least thinking about doing it. Brenna, how about you? What would you like to see in the future of podcasting? This is a big question. This occupies a lot of my professional energy. Um, I'm, I'm lucky to be part of a project called the Amplify Podcast Network, which is um, a project that's being helmed by Hannah McGregor from SFU, who folks may know from the Secret Feminist Agenda podcast, um, which was the first podcast to go through a, a, a peer review process. Hmm. Um, it kind of gets back at what you were saying previously, Matthew. It's like this goal to create a a way of podcasts counting in a scholarly space. So what the Amplify Podcast Network and the ensuing grant are trying to do is um, we're trying to create all the infrastructure. So um, folks who have 
submitted journals using the OJS uh, platform that they developed at SFU. It's a very similar idea, but for audio, like where, what's my librarian friends would like this? What's the metadata going to look like? And how do we organize that in a meaningful way for podcasts? Um, how are they going to get archived? Uh, how can we simplify and um, make the transcription process a sort of seamless part of that? What does the peer review infrastructure look like? And it's an interesting project. I'm developing a podcast for that project as one of three that will go through this peer review process within this larger infrastructure. And what's interesting about that is, can you, is it possible to protect everything that's great about podcasts, community, spontaneity, the sort of DIY, rough around the edges, punk rock edge that makes me love podcasting? Can you protect all of that and put it through a peer review process or are we basically creating audio monographs? <laughs> and I'm not sure what the answer is to that yet. I've been really struggling with my piece of the project for exactly that reason, trying to support these vibes. So all that to say, my hope is, is that we move towards a future of podcasting um, where we can make podcasting more legible to more institutions so that the people doing the podcasting are not constantly doing it off the sides of their desks, right? We know that knowledge mobilization efforts are primarily undertaken by marginalized folks in their positions and primarily done off the sides of their desks. What if we can bring it into the institution so that the work counts without losing what's great about it? And that's where my energies are focused these days. Great. I think, I think also I'd love, personally, I would love to see the like academia embrace alt more alternative forms of, of scholarly communication. And so that your podcast doesn't have to end with, you know, like 10 minutes of you talking, just saying, reading off citations and references <laughs> of things you talked about in that episode. No, I was going to say the structure of the show notes to me is like mm. such a ripe place for doing that kind of work in really visual and transparent ways. Um, so that people can see how thinking develops. Um, no, I recently listened to an episode of the podcast called uh, horror Vanguard, which usually does like, uh, leftist critique of horror movies. Um, but they did an episode, uh, I think a couple months ago, that was, they just did a chapter by chapter analysis of a scholarly work of, I think it was called the industrial Gothic. Um, and so they're both like academics and they went and they talked about all the arguments and everything. And I'm like, this is like the best book review I've ever read, <laughs> you know, like, but listening to it in podcast form. And I think that's something that I would love to see more of. Alana, how about yourself? What would you like to see happen in podcasts? There's a, you know, there's this phenomenon that I've been reviewing lately, and, and I know it's in the unpopular right now, JK Rowling area, but it's the time turner because I feel like I don't have enough time to listen as much as I want to produce. Um, you know, the, the fact that Maurice and Brennan and I are just getting acquainted today, it, 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 that's a shame. Why? Why? And, and so maybe there needs to be more recognition. Maybe we need a podcast about podcasts uh, that are about libraries in specific. Uh, we, we, we need to do my podcast conference idea in which every session yeah. is just a podcast, but I love someone that needs to idea. pay me to do that. And, and, and so same, you know, maybe there needs to be an award. Maybe there needs to be, um, there's gotta be some sort of ALA, OLA, CSLA, love child doesn't there i mean you know where where we just more can, recognition for podcasts yeah like where how do we find each other and and make that club and the merch obviously happen yeah you know i can you imagine if we all had like microphone covers that were branded right i don't know like let's sell it right um 
So the time turners one, we got to figure out how to work across systems. Analytics have to be part of that, but also just, I don't know, but there's just got to be someone who takes all of that on for me. So I don't have to do it, but I really want to benefit from it. <laughs> Something like that. So, so, so building off that last thing. Me and MacArthur yeah. genius brand, someone who's just, all right, that's our pitch. We need someone to figure out how to monetize and how to organize and how do we publicize podcasts. And just someone who has just so much, you know, several zeros floating around, go, eh, give them a couple million dollars to figure it out. This is going to sound crazy, but I think maybe we need a library. <laughs> a podcast library? Yeah. 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 And someone to place. organize it or- and catalog it and meta tag it. I'm just imagining this horrible place filled with like burnt CDRs uh, every episode on, on an individual CD. Um, okay. But, but final question before we end here and building off what was just said, what's one podcast uh, that's not your own that you think people should go and check out? Uh, who wants to start with this one? There's no, just no one so many, at. but, but I feel like, like the bomb, the, the, for me, it would be something like the cult of pedagogy. Has anybody ever checked that out? Okay. And I mean, and it's a teaching thing, but I would say the library world that is outside of teaching, the question they always ask me is, so can you like, tell me how to teach in about five minutes? And, and the cult of pedagogy is the answer to that for me. I would highly recommend it. Maurice, Brenna. Hold on. I'm writing. Brenna, do you have one? Yeah, so my favorite podcasts are ones that introduce me to worlds that I don't have access to otherwise. Um, and so I, I've got to give um, huge love, not that it's in short supply for this podcast, um, to the Ear Hustle podcast, which is a podcast that's all about life inside. Uh, well, San Quentin is the is the prison that it primarily takes place inside. Uh, it's created for and by um, incarcerated persons at that institution, but it goes now as the podcast has uh, has grown and some of the folks involved in it have um, left prison it's it goes into other institutions now and it's just you know when podcasting is good <laughs> it takes us places that we don't have access to otherwise and it shows us other kinds of possibilities when it comes to things like equity and access and and you know, education. And I just think um, Ear Hustle is quite a, a remarkable example of really doing the work. So I recommend that one if folks haven't listened. I, I have one. It's a friend, a friend of, uh, we say, they call him on Tuesday, a friend of the show. It's Circulating Ideas. And he does interviews with interesting library folk. And it's very much, very different. My show is more of a wacky tobacky, I don't know what panel. Uh, Steve's show is one person, two people. He does an interview with them, maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. You get to know them. For example, those of you listening, so I know this is primarily to the Ontario Library Association, but as we know, borders don't really exist anymore during COVID. So if you're listening to this in America, the American Library Association, ALA's presidential elections coming up. I'm sure Steve will have interviews with the presidential candidates so you can hear what they have to say, et cetera. And he has really interesting people on his show. Uh, He doesn't do it as much as Alana mentioned. It's sort of the uh, time gets away from you and you kind of have to roll back how much you do, but his show is great. It's called Circulating Ideas and Steve is wonderful. 
I've also been in that. I've, I've both been a guest and been a host, a guest host on that podcast as well. Uh, but anyway, thank you for all of you for um, being on this panel. I think, I think I really enjoyed our discussion and, and learning more about different aspects of podcasting uh, to those watching us. Um, there'll be uh, links and resources available for you. I think it's either going to be emailed to you or it'll be on the OLA conference website. Uh, so thank you all for coming today. Thanks for having me, Matthew. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This was, this was a lot of fun and we're doing things cross border, which I think is really cool. At least for me, I don't need a passport to necessarily <laughs> go to, to Canada. I Good love point. Canada. I don't need yeah. to have the right vaccinations and the right order either. It's awesome. <laughs> And that is all the time we have for today. That was the podcasters panel recorded for the OLA Super Conference 2022. Thank you so much to Matthew and Alana, Brenna and Maurice. I really appreciate your time, the fact that you were able to share your brains with us and all of your wisdom and your thoughts and your merch ideas. Fabulous. Thank you so much to all of you for the work that you did to pull that panel together. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Library Land Loves. Take care, stay safe, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.